Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. This episode of Slam the Gavel is sponsored by CPS Protect Consulting Services. A Child Protective Services case is one of the most frightening experiences for any parent. Don't face it alone. Face it with confidence, with urgent assist. By CPS Protect, you can have access to former CPS investigators to make sure you preserve your rights and protect your family. If you're facing CPS involvement and aren't sure where to turn, their child welfare consultants can help you. Visit cpsprotect.com forward slash subscribe and enter the coupon code slam the gavel for 60% off your first year of urgent assist. And this is available in all 50 states. I have another announcement. Bradley's mother, Narcus Golan, passed away in the fall of 2022. Bradley is autistic and needs structured routine and therapies he receives for his autism six days a week. However, Italy just entrusted Bradley to the Italian social services. If he is ruled to go back to Italy, he will face the next three to four years in the Italian foster care system where he can't speak or understand the language. He will then be taken away from the only family he has ever known here in these United States. Please call Governor Hochul at 518 48390. That's Governor Hochul, 518-474-8390 to please keep Bradley here safe in these United States. Hashtag keep Bradley safe. Please also go to the site, pleasedoyourjob.com. That's pleasedoyourjob.com. We need 2,500 more signatures to get a case reopened. Very, very important. Pleasedoyourjob.com. I have a return guest on. I am so happy to have Lori Smith back on. She was last on season four, episode 75, but she was also on season three, episode 170, and season four, 37, and again, 75. And she's back on today. We're going to talk about her two new webinars on trauma and uh, surviving trauma and the illusions of justice. So I welcome you, Lori. You've got a lot going. So how are those webinars? Thank you so much. Um, They're great, but please do your job. Who is that focused towards? That is focused toward a case in Maryland uh, involving a death of a young man of 19 while he was working and the uh, prosecutor will not do his job when there are 12 medical examiners telling him that this is murder and it's not nothing's being done. I love that title. I feel like we need that for the entire governmental systems. Please do your job.com. Right, right. Amen. Yes. So yeah, my webinars are great. I just, um, I continue to uh, produce webinars, mostly trauma and harm reduction focused. Um, one is the four F's that are effing up your day. Um, <laughs> that has to do with the four trauma responses and kind of what they like look like in our personality and how to pivot out of them through um, somatic um, neurodivergent uh, mind body solutions. The other one is the four paths to possibility. It's a little bit more about if you're in some chaos and you need some clarity about your life, it's a four-step process to help you get in better alignment um, with where you naturally sit versus where the world wants you to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, I have, of course, the group course. It's a three-month uncovery. It is, um, you know, I, I... I loathe the term recovery. Um, I've re- I have I have recovered from a lot of things, but I am a um, history of substance use trauma, um, developmental trauma, lots of different traumas, 
um, ACEs, all of those. But, you know, when when they say recovery, it really just it, it's a visceral reaction because for a lot of us, it I, I there's no what are we recovering? Some of us were never given these tools. We don't have anything to go back to. So uncovering is more about taking off all of the masks we wear and really getting, again, getting a very clear picture about who we are and, and how to stand with and support ourselves when the world is pointing fingers and saying, you're the problem. Mm -hmm. And gaslighting. Well, yeah. And that's, yeah, such a uh, common term right now, but yes. And, and we've been doing this for generations, but so um, I prefer the term uncovery. And so I work on that in my coaching business and my private practice. That's for trauma survivors. Term. I like that. Yeah, I do. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I like uh, the four F's that are Effing up your day. <laughs> yes. That's... And I am neurodivergent. So my courses are not like formal. They're fun. It should be adventurous to heal. Um, we've had enough struggle in our lives. Yes, healing is difficult, but it should be a curious exploration at our own pace, in our own way, and in a way that works for us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because most of the people in your audience have really been given things that they didn't ask for. Right. Right. And they've had a lot of stress in their lives and yes. courses that are, that you can learn from, but are not. Uh, so like, I don't want to say the word educational, but, but that they're fun and that they can learn. From. Yeah. Well, they're interactive. They're passive. Um, you know, I do put workbooks together so that, you know, there's a sort of a, a self examination, but it's presented in ways that are not like, this isn't like you're going to a PhD. You don't need to, you know, I've got five certifications. You don't need to have that level of education, but I do want you to know the basics of what's relevant in your world to have more empowerment because the world will every day take away more and more rights and choices from us if we are not conscious and my way of rebelling and fighting back is to teach empowerment, um, especially for those who've been victimized again by the court system. Um, it's a re-traumatization and, uh, and we can go into that. But yes, uh, trauma survivors in the court system go hand in hand, hands down. These courses would be helpful for everybody. I probably should take some of these courses. Yo, you can, oh, and I have a new book coming out. Sorry, uh, I forgot about it. Um, navigating the, navigating something within, I can't remember the title of it. It's about your nervous system and tools to help you self-regulate um, in these situations where the world is feeling very assaultive to us. Uh -huh. So um, yeah, I'll send you that and let, and let me know what you think. And I know you have a new book too, and I'm so grateful you're sharing people's stories. Oh, thank you. I felt they had to be told, you know, on top of my debacle of federal court, I thought, let's tell everybody about my debacle. But then I thought, hey, you know, I've had some guests on here that have had horrible experiences with not only the family court, but also the federal court. And it just all goes the same way. Yeah. They, and it's interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm reading um, this book right now, um, Truth and Repair. It's um how trauma survivors envision justice. But one of the things in there, it, it talks a lot about the repair and part of the repair is to be seen and heard. So your book is really, you know, recording the 
these cases that are so surreal and unbelievable that you wouldn't, you can't even comprehend unless you've been through something similar. And so for you to put, put their words on paper and document it historically just is, um, really part of the healing process. Mm -hmm. Uh, If there is healing available, it's not going to look like how you think it is though. Exactly. Exactly. Um, my publisher even mentioned doing a volume two of Raised oh, Wolves. That's amazing. And you know what? I'm I'm going to put a plug in here for a show I'm watching on Prime called The Lost Flowers. Okay. It deals with domestic violence and women, generational women and domestic violence. But why I'm bringing it up is because she helps women because that is how she tends to these wounds. If, if you will. And so it, it's very much like your book. Like I am recording these stories because we deserve it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because it's a form of justice. Uh, you know, you'll hear from a parent. Well, this ha- this bad thing happened in family court. I want to go to the press and tell them the press doesn't want anything to do with this. Unless so, it's sensationalized. Yeah. Unless it's got to be really bad. Unfortunately, it has to be bad if there's like a death has occurred to be honest. Yeah, and then it becomes trauma, what we call trauma porn. Right. Right. So then uh, I guess, I guess I'm the second option. <laughs> People come. Well, to me. Yeah. I think, well, you are going to the horse's mouth. So, mm-hmm. you, but like, you're not, it, there's no other purpose, but documentation that this, these are real events. They did happen. We're not crazy. And we deserve to have our stories heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and these people did uh, extremely well. They did well contributing to this book, and their stories were heard. And they will also be updated along with new stories in the second volume. Awesome, good. And I think again, it's just so surreal that I don't don't know what else to equate going into the justice system and being seen as a perpetrator when you are been victimized too, like it's so jarring to every sense that we have. Definitely Lori, because when I was in family court under false allegations of emotional child abuse, the CPS caseworker, honest to God, I'll have, you know, I think I counted it in transcript and I think she called me a perpetrator while she was on the stand. It had to be 22 times. I'll have to go back and count. But she kept referring, she would not say my name. The perpetrator did this. Then the perpetrator said that. It's like, wait a minute. What happened to innocent until proven guilty? There, but I and, and I think that this is the illusion of justice that we are going to get into is that we we have been taught that the justice system is a safe place for people who have been harmed. And I and I, that is a hard myth to break. Mm-hmm. But I spend a lot of time really reframing what the legal system is and its purpose because we are not taught that stuff. And until we know sort of the history and the basis, I, I, we're like a deer in headlights. We're yes. unprepared. We are not aware of the purpose of her calling you a perpetrator. We're not aware that, oh, this is about a winner and a loser. This is about um, things that are not related to my ex- my own experience, mm-hmm. if you will. Like th- th- these are th- 
this ha- never had to do with me getting justice almost. Mm-hmm. It had to do with the winner and a loser and the courts um, doing it in 30 minutes or less or whatever their time frame is and in all of that. So I think once you know sort of the history of the courts and what the, the sort of the intention and the purpose is, it becomes a lot clearer how more of us are victimized over and over and over again. Because you showed me earlier that book you're reading on the, what was it, the history of family court? Yeah, the end of family court, how abolishing the court brings justice justice to children and families. So I am an abolitionist. Um, I don't, I'm not for closing the school education system or anything like that. But this is a um, a professor um, at Columbia, a woman, and she did a book on the sort of the history of the family court and why it is not even no longer helpful. It is actually far more harmful than it it itself will acknowledge, but it won't acknowledge it because it is like, it continues to perpetuate itself. Like it needs itself to thrive. So it cannot look at these wounds, but she looks at them very, um, very concretely and makes a really good case for why we don't even need family court anymore and why it's kind of a diversion. I'm getting that book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I had heard uh, or read somewhere that family court was established in the 60s, 1968 by Congress was installed it without any, anyone voting on it from what I understand. Oh, that makes sense. Quote me if I'm, I mean, you know, correct me if yeah. I'm wrong, but um, that's the history that I heard about. Yeah. yeah. And so it might have been called family court and that, like, it might have transitioned into family court. But prior to that, we had children's court. It was called a bunch of different things. These practices started about 100 years ago. And I'm a social worker, so I take full responsibility for the harm that my own profession has caused. When we first started out, Jane Adams was a great person. She was from Chicago and we heard about her a lot in school, but a lot of these came out of the religious tradition to socialize and condition people into the norm, if you will, to sort of collect them and save them from themselves, if you will. So, and not only that, but we have to remember this country was founded by white males Mm -hmm. and white males needed a legal system to protect their property. Mm -hmm. And everybody below that then became a threat. Mm-hmm. So when these courts were established a hundred years ago, back in the orphan trains, again, called different names throughout the time, mm-hmm. the orphan trains, if anybody's familiar with them, it's like, I believe it's in the new England States. They ship uh, kids off to other States because they, it's, it had to do with labor and all of that. Yep. But th- those orphan trains were developed to save the white children. Anybody else that fell below that that was not the concern. That's never been the concern. And that is something to know about the courts. Because again, if we're coming from 200, you know, the the beginning of this country, when we colonized it from Native uh, Americans, and we came in with these men who said, okay, we need a, we need a formal loss, you know, we, we need to deal with our differences in court. Then we came in with the saviorism from the religions, with the social workers and the therapeutic courts, they called them. That is a key thing, because once they started talking about therapeutic courts, what started to happen was that everything got shoved into the court system under this section of the court. But what we 
do not get educated in is that the court is not set up to save people, period. It does not even have that capacity. And I'll get into that in a minute. But further, it is set up again to have a winner and a loser. It is not set up to repair. It is not set up to provide resources if somebody is in poverty or, you know, is um, BIPOC or any, you know, even uh, even us white folks. It's not set up to provide the resources. It is set up to save us from what I would call immorality, if you will, like historically, you know, that was not socially acceptable. That was not socially acceptable. And so the intention has always been good, but with anything systemic, once you get into the practices of it, it really becomes exploitative, dehumanizing because we live in these systems. We live in these systems that are, that were set up at the beginning to only focus on truly protecting some of us and harming or at the expense of the rest of us. So when we get into family court and we start talking about things like CPS and we start talking about things like a custody battles, that was never intended to be sorted out. That was intended to be judged. But then we went in because it was therapeutic and we said, these judges, they need far more room to make these decisions. They need, um, and I'll quote it, hang on. The lack of formality and due process is one issue we have. The limitless discretion of the judge and probation officers in attempting to use treatment in a court setting and the potential that defendants were innocent, but nevertheless were labeled in need of treatment and required to comply with curative solutions or face criminal sanctions it became punitive. And so being situated within the court system rather than the community for the for, for finding solutions to these ailments meant that the stick of the prosecution and sentencing remained always available. So we, we have labeled it as therapeutic court, but court systems by default are punitive. Mm -hmm. But we gave these judges free reign a long time ago, because we said, and we, and she makes this case throughout history, we have this, again, this illusion that the judge will, well, it should be better educated judge. They should know about these. They should have more compassion for this, you know, though only certain judges can go into family court because they have the skills, but they, they don't have the skills. They're not being trained in these things. They don't even, we don't even want them to be trained in these things systemically. So when they go in and they have all these rooms to make their very subjective judgments, that gets us into all kinds of messes. Whereas if we, part of what she says is if we, if we dealt with the criminality in the criminal court, you would have more rights. If the children were sent through regular court, they would have more rights. We would have more due process. We would have the jury. But what's happening, two things are happening. One is... Ugh, Sorry, I'm going to. That's okay. Very passionate. <laughs> I hear you. <ya. laughs> Some of what's happening is that I uh, lost my train of thought now. Um, More due process. If the, the yeah. So the so children are being ushered into this for things like uh, juvenile, you know, um, uh, I, I can't remember what they call it in teenagehood when you're like causing mischief. Uh, juvenile. Uh, oh. It doesn't matter, but it's yeah. basically socially non-acceptable things. Children are in the court system without due process, and then they end up in the criminal system anyway, because 
there's nobody to protect them. The guardian, all these volunteers in the therapeutic court, the guardian of light on the volunteers, the, there's no resources for the kids if they get in trouble for, say, um, a minor in possession or all of that. So th that's children's court. But the other thing that's happening is that when we started to say mandating mandated reporting mm -hmm. was mandated, we created a system which is fine about, oh, call if you have a concern. Then we tied it to CYA of the professional, like cover your own butt and report even if you have a question, because we're taught that it is CPS's job to figure it out. And it is. However, that is the only job of CPS. CPS does not have the resources. Family court does not have the capacity to deal with these social issues of poverty, for one. But it does not have the resources to help you emerge from those threatening states. CPS will assess it. Then it goes into family court where you are then not really given a choice on whether to comply or not. And all of these arbitrary laws are brought against you. And you now either are facing um, either do this or you're going to be further criminalized. Then they started taking children away, mm -hmm. putting them in white foster homes. Mm -hmm. And that has no due process at all. And that is a very subterranean form of human trafficking happening where now we have a secondary foster care system where we can just you know if we if we skirt this issue we can take the kid and move them to this home and then we're going to pretend everything is okay and we're going to do it all under the radar because they don't have rights and their parents don't have rights and we're not going to talk about any of that because this will be better for them period just trust us no. okay sorry i i went off on all ah, kinds of no that was excellent questions that was excellent i mean you said it all right there. I mean, this this is the human trafficking in so many. Well, and I just think that the <sighs> illusion that particularly me as a white female has had my entire life was that if I tell somebody I'm harmed, they're going to trust me. Mm -hmm. And if I if I'm a good person, nothing bad is going to happen to me. And and we until we realize we as a collective white community realize that we too are being harmed by this and we are not it is not just us, but we we want to look to our sisters in the BIPOC community, uh, you know, brothers and sisters to listen, to listen to all of the ways that this has been harmful, because I'll tell you what, they've got some solutions that we haven't thought of because mm -hmm. we're still stuck in this. It's supposed to be fair. It's supposed to be just this is supposed to be good people and bad people. And, and that's really not been the experience of any. I would propose any of the people you wrote about in that book. It seems like, you know, any parent that I talk to, it's the same scenario, but a different state could be a different city. It's it's a pattern throughout this whole nation, probably globally. I would say globally, this is happening. Okay. And there is no end to the suffering. Of There isn't an end. And again, like, again, I think we just need, we need to own our own um, unwanted responsibility of, of, really seeing these systems that we have created for what they are. The system I'm in, the healthcare and the the helping system has done far more harm to people than we care to look at. But because it never happened to us, we really haven't had the exposure therapy, if you will, to the true 
harm that can be caused. And so when somebody comes into the just the fuck, the freaking justice system, let it rip, <laughs> believing that they're going to get justice. I think a, we set them up for failure, but we also set them up for re-traumatization. Now I'm going to read another book again, the truth and repair book, because this quote in here, it, it spoke to me. The requirements of legal proceedings seem almost perfectly designed to aggravate the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. Victims need to establish a sense of power and control over their lives. The courts require them to submit to a complex set of rules and bureaucratic procedures that they may not even understand over which they have no control. Victims need time for recovery. The court sets timetables for justice, which repeatedly disrupts their lives and is often protracted over many months or years. Victims need an opportunity to tell their stories in their own way. The court requires them to respond on the witness stand to a set of direct questions from the prosecutor and then to endure cross-examination by the defense attorney. Victims often need to control or limit their exposure to specific reminders of trauma, but the court requires them to relive their experience in great detail. Victims often fear direct interaction with their perpetrators. The court requires them a face-to-face -face confrontation with the accused. For all these reasons, it is common for vi victims of sexual violence and other violence, I'll add, to speak to their encounters with the justice system as a second rape. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about justice. Yeah. Where's the justice in this? When, as a parent, you're struggling and you have tried to do everything right, you're maybe even asked for help, Maybe you're even a victim of some other relational violence in this world, but then you go into a court system and you're railroaded all over again. My experience with the court took me back to my freaking childhood. I was behaving in ways I was not proud of because it was taking me back to times where I didn't have power and control all over again. That is not what our survivors need. We need empowerment. But that's dangerous because that doesn't fit within the system we have. Mm-hmm. Definitely. When, well, for instance, when speaking out on the stand, when the judge asked me, is everything the CPS caseworker said a fabrication? I said, yes, everything she said was a fabrication. He yells at me, you are appalling on the stand. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, you know, you wish you could say this stuff out loud. Hey, jerkball, you uh, wanted the truth. You swear in for the truth. You're, you're raising right. your hand and swearing in on what? There's no Bible here. <laughs> right. Part of what I do in my work, in my private practice and my coaching is to really separate our identity from what we have been taught to have. We have been taught to, how should I say it? defer our own individual per, uh, personalities, if you will, to what is best for the group, the community, the belonging. And so when somebody, so, so it used to be that, you know, you're, you had street cred and you, you, you know, you had good character and you were of good moral, whatever that was determined by this, by, by those around you. But Sigmund Freud said, before you decide that you're crazy, you need to really assess if you're surrounded by crazy. So Part of what I do is separating our identity from what we are being told we are. Because that, 
if you are believe, if we are internalizing what the court is saying about us or our children or our capabilities, that is not going to serve anybody because we are the ones at the end of the day that have to live with the results of anything that happens in that court. And if I tie my identity to how you're describing me, I know lots of people who have died by suicide as a result of that. Mm -hmm. This is horrific. You went to, listen, you went to jail. I know a doctor who's been to jail for doing what she thought was right. And if, if now we believe that only people that are bad go to jail, now I, now I must be bad too, right? No, I'm sorry. That's not, again, that's the illusion of justice. No, not just bad people go to jail. Not just bad people get called into CPS and get called into the court. It happens to, for many, many reasons, but we better be clear on our own strengths and weaknesses and our own um, agency in this world. We better we better keep an eye on the prize. And that is that we are a full human actually with the ability to make mistakes and the right to course correct if needed and the ability to dispute your assessment of me. But it's guilty until proven innocent. Correct. And I think that we are really not educated on that. Again, that is by default of the way that we have these court systems set up because you are going in already under the defense of needing to defend your own actions, which by th then qualifies you as the perpetrator. And these, listen, if you're, if you're hitting your kid because you don't make enough money and you're stressed at the end of the day and you're using substances to numb out, not that I don't know what your population is, but that's an example of something that could happen. And CPS gets called. Listen, there are family issues going on for sure. The court is not the place that that's going to get worked out. The court is going to say there's a problem and there's, you know, here's the problem. Punitive measures. The end of the story. It is not going to provide the social support resources. It is not going to provide the of food stamps. It's not going to connect you with the Medicaid that you might need or the disability that you might need from the job that you've been working, that you're working to pay the bills for, but you really can't, you shouldn't be going to because it's killing you. Mm -hmm. it, and again, I'm not, I want to be clear here. I'm not making excuses for people who do bad things. What I'm saying is we're all capable of doing bad things and good things. And if we have the illusion that there's a good and a bad, a winner and a loser, we need to understand that that's the court's job. The court's job is to point fingers, period. And the fines and all of that. That's how they keep themselves going. The court's job is not to say to the world, you're a good person. Mm -hmm. You didn't deserve this. I, I noticed that, Bonnie, you should say that uh, because when you're in court with your ex, the judge will yell at both of you, like both of you are bad. I don't want either of you bad mouthing each other. You, I don't want you bad mouthing him. I don't want you bad mouthing. I mean, it's like you're both being <laughs> yelled at like we're in fourth grade. Right. And there's again, I'm I'm sure that comes from an illusion that you know, you're both equal and I'm 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 feigning that 
you're innocent until proven guilty, but I've already made up my mind because A, I'm a judge. B, uh, we've got 20 minutes to solve this case before the next one. And C, I've seen a million of these cases. I'm overworked too. And I maybe have a deal on the side about what is going to happen to your kid and who's going to take, you know, what, whatever. Like there's, there's a number of hidden factors that we don't take into account that yeah. we've set up that way. No, this is true. People don't know this. Uh, well, and, and again, just that we, you, you would think that going into a family court and the way, the whole history of it, the intention was that these judges would be specially trained with more compassion and more um, sort of awareness of family issues. A, they're not, but B, they also have something that we struggle with in my field called compassion fatigue, which mm -hmm. is, I've seen so many cases. I'm now numb and you're the enemy. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm tired. Maybe I'm hungry at two 30 when we're doing this case. And I, again, you know, I have a quota to meet and I just want to get through this and let's figure this out so that I can get you into a program of, uh, payment or fees or some sort of sort of criminal punitive measure. Mm -hmm. Or not, but we need to solve this case because I'm on a timeline. I, I'm on a timeline does not fit with for any trauma survivor. <laughs> oh. And by the time you get to court, yes, there are perpetrators, but most of us are victims before we get to the court. Mm -hmm. And as a victim, to have the to have the understanding that this isn't about me being seen. This isn't about me being heard. This is about what is best for the system and the judge. And this has nothing to do with what's right for my kid or not. Because we didn't set it up that way. And until we know that, we will blame ourselves. Oh. Or we will feel helpless. And there are resources. There is empowerment strategies. But if you think your justice is going to come only from the court, I'm here to just kind of remind us that's not where justice comes from. Justice comes from me saying no. Justice comes from me setting boundaries. Justice comes from me saying, F you, I don't accept that you call me the perpetrator. I know the truth. I'm sticking with my truth. I trust myself. I support myself. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to go find somebody else who does because we're going to make noise. Mm -hmm. That's justice. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anybody, yes, legally, we might need the court's permission to claim justice, but bad things happen, whether it's in the court, the schools, all of it. I get to decide what to do with that. I get to decide how much of that I'm going to own. And I get to decide what to do for my own safety and anything I can do for the safety of my child, which I, I will say, I don't have, I don't have children, but I've spent 20 years working with children of other people mm -hmm. because everybody's a child that comes through my office and yeah, I don't have kids, but I work with the effects of that when they're adults. Yes. Ugh. So I just, you know, if, if education is the key, empowerment is built on three strategies, empowerment, um, sorry, um, educating ourselves, getting new information, skill building with those that new information and then um the confidence that comes from practicing the skills 
So knowing, you know, having a solid understanding of what the court's role is and is not, that can move mountains setting out the gate. So that that can keep you clear on the focus. Ah, okay, the focus isn't to prove to the court. Yes, okay, fine. I've got to I got to pay a lawyer to prove to the court. But that's a that's a formality. That's a that's a arbitrary thing that they're going to decide and I I don't have control over that, but I do have control over deciding how much of the court I'm going to believe, how much of, you know, I, you can build control in other ways. Mm-hmm. But first you have to educate yourself. You have to practice with the new skills of saying no and setting boundaries and speaking up when you feel safe enough to do so. Mm-hmm. That will build the confidence needed to then make the changes we need and change I think there's another part of this book I wanted to quote. Wrong book, hang on. Um, Wrong page. It's something about, okay. Uh, A second class system of justice. Oh. uh, A second class system of justice for people of color and the second class system of justice for marginalized families around the country finding themselves in family court are not going to be changed by making the court work better. Changes occur only by recognizing that most of what these litigants need belongs outside of court. Fixing the court will not serve their deserved ends. Instead, abolish this court, abolish the family courts, put it back into the hands of the, um, the traditional court setting, because you're not going to get, this is not meeting anybody's needs except for continuing itself. Mm-hmm. Right. And it revolves around money. And I'm sure everybody knows about the Title IV incentives. Oh, is that of the adoption? Is that really? Yes, that's related to fostering and adoption. Yeah. American Safe Family Act uh, signed off by Clinton in 1997 that completely disrupted this nation. Is that CAFSA? Uh, C-A-F-S-A? No, this is, well, this is the American Safe Family Act. Okay. And I think the CAPTA came later, something like that. Yes. One of them is about child protection and the other is about. um, Yes. The ASFA ASFA is about actually collecting child support, (laughs) but the the CAPTA was the uh, foster care thing. Yeah. So, okay. So tell me about the, the child support. Okay. um, You know, um, they signed into this, you know, child support enforcement. So, you know, when you're forced to pay child support, which is supposed to be um, something you do willingly, you know, it's it's like um, they want it to be, oh, not my brain is shot. Um, That's okay. <laughs> but, you know, there. so there's now in, enforcement. In fact, the bad part about it is, is, you know, there are parents that have, say, lost their job through whatever, right. or, or a parent who's a car salesman, and you may have a great four months, and then you mm-hmm. may have a crappy three months, and so your salary is going up and down, but the judge doesn't care because they're going to impute a figure that you've never made before anyway. Mm-hmm. You can't make that, then you go you go into the arrears. So again, part of, part of this therapeutic court is to weed out the what we at one time 
we, we have this thing about equating poor people with immoral and bad. Mm-hmm. And so part of this, these fees were meant to keep certain by, I'm just going to be flat out and say BIPOC families separated so that, you know, if they didn't fit into the social code, they would not be supported. So, so it's kind of that, that sort of enforcement of child support is about weeding out who can play the, by the rules and who can't Mm -hmm. and then criminalizing the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, um, signed into law November 19th, 1997, having been approved by the United States Congress. And, um, its purpose was to, I'm looking all this up here, uh, to speed up the legal process, LOL. Bingo. Bingo. Just, again, not to benefit the parents, but to have a formal system where we are perpetuating the legal system to speed up the process because now we're facing all these cases from all these child, you know, divorce and, um, you know, we're, we're facing more and more cases. So we need to streamline this. Mm-hmm. And if you fit into the boundaries, you know, if you can pay it, great. And if you can't, you go to jail. Right. Right. Or better yet, let's take away the parents' driver's license so they can't drive to work. To so again, job. punitive response to a social need. Mm-hmm. Here's my question. Th- that is that is a similar sort of MO as the, I believe it's CAPTA or CAPTA or I, I'm, something about child abuse where they want to abolish that too now because they, why are we incentivizing people to adopt children when we aren't even taking care of the family that they came from and ensuring that they have the basic needs met to be mm-hmm. able to take care of their children? We're going to incentivize white families mostly to take in these children and then everything's going to be hunky-dory because now we've we've done the sort of the uh, the white finger uh that's a reference to historically we would go into homes and we would do a white glove test right right if it was dusty you were immoral like this these are these are generational things that we have accepted we're again we're decide we're deciding which families are acceptable to maintain and which ones aren't but we're not going to say we want, you know, the court by default cannot be individualized. Mm-hmm. And families are individual cohorts. They're not, th- 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 there's nothing streamlined about every divorce. There's nothing streamlined about every child abuse case. Right. It's not cookie cutter. Exactly. And furthermore, you're not even addressing the ailments that are bringing them to the court. Mm-hmm. Because the CAPTA, the Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act, is federally funded, uh-huh, federally funded, to improve states' child welfare systems to address child abuse and neglect. States utilize the funding to support prevention, identification, and treatment activities. The tr- right. The treatment is foster. The treatment is um, punitive for the parents. The treatment is not therapeutic like the intention of the court was. Listen, it's a great idea to be observant, to see if you're, you know, the family across the street is harming their children. I don't want children harmed. The problem is we get children into the court system and then they are determined property. Right. Then we're talking about Whose property are we protecting and whose aren't we protecting? And that to me is disgusting. Mm -hmm. Humans, we have a history of that in this country. 
We have a history of humans being property and we have not stopped that because we have a for-profit prison system and we have a criminal justice system and a family court system that is now playing with human lives in the form of property and just trafficking them back and forth legally with endorsement from our federal government, which again, itself is not a problem in ideal land. But when we get into this streamlining, when we get into this, well, we got to have everything, you know, go in order that negates 80 to 90% of the population because we're just not streamlined. I don't, there is no, the social norms shift every fucking decade. Right. So what is normalized is going to change every decade. Oh, you're right. And I really, yeah, I I, I have a lot to say, but I'll, I'll focused <laughs> well you know that's why we'll do another podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just it, it, again we need to understand that when we go into court it is not they'll believe me because i've been hurt it is understanding that you need to have a really good defense strategy and even then if you don't have enough money you still might not win in the court system, that doesn't mean you have failed. It doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. That doesn't mean that you have to carry the burden of whatever label you've been given. That simply means that the court did what the court thought was right to do. And that has nothing to do with what's best for you and your child most of the time. I think people, when they get divorced, I think they should sit down with someone who understands this court system. And I know people say, oh, don't go through mediation. Don't do that. I mean, well, find a good mediator. Okay. Because there are good ones. There are bad ones. Okay. So, good judges. Some. Right. Right. Who have not been sort of numbed out yet. Right. I've only met two good judges. Exactly. Some, I said. <laughs> One was super hot. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> but uh, other than that, I mean, just just because you're getting divorced doesn't mean you have to run into a courtroom. Just. Yeah. And well, and I also do, again, there's this illusion that a fairness that's going to result. If we were told, if your lawyer was honest with you and said, here's the deal. I think they would make a lot less money, which is why they don't tell us these things. You know, like if, if the lawyer could be transparent, but you know, I've seen a lot of lawyers feign ignorance Mm -hmm. and naivete and that really just doesn't sit well with me there's you cannot boots on the ground work in this field and tell me you don't know the basic things and how do i know them and you don't something doesn't jive here Mm -hmm. so again the lawyer has a the lawyer then this is how the lawyers get compromised they then have an obligation to meet the needs of the judge to get a good outcome because they know that the judge, you know, they like this and they don't like this and do this. And so they're tiptoeing and yes, they may be defending you, but they're also trying to get you a win in the case, which may not align with your needs. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I, um, so, so again, they're, they're, they then become obligated to the judge versus their own, um, who they're representing. Most definitely. Uh, 
the one attorney I signed on with said that he had good rapport with the child support judge. I thought, oh, thank God, I'm going to have some relief. Well, what it was, was he was afraid to argue in front of her because sometimes things might not go his way with the next case, maybe. Exactly. And he's got a career to, to again, it's CYA, like I have to appease this judge, just like doctor has to appease the insurance company, even though they may not want you to have this cancerous treatment, uh, uh, toxic cancer treatment. It, it's dehumanizing to us all. And there are many different ways to do this, but until we look at really how these things are set up and the roots of them and why they are so unjust, that has to everything to do with how we have treated people throughout history. But we really, again, as a white woman, it is my responsibility to know how I too have been helped and harmed by these systems. Mm -hmm. And so I have been mostly protected. If I walked into a court, because my skin is white, I would have a hair more, um, I would be trusted a hair more than somebody with a different skin color. But at the same time, if I'm a white woman and I don't realize that this court is not really set up for me either, poor white men it's not set up for either, but because it was created by white men 250 years ago to protect their own fucking property mm -hmm. and to criminalize Anybody who disagreed with owning property, uh, people as property, and, and criminalizing slaves that would run away, mm -hmm. we really kind of need to know our historical roots on this are about protecting some at the expense of most of us. Ooh. If yeah. we knew that going in, we would kind of be able to tolerate not that i want us to tolerate it, but we would we would understand when the court doesn't agree with us we would under not understand as an accept but the frame of reference is different when you're going in believing you're going to get justice versus believing okay this is kind of a rigged system and i'm gonna i'm gonna go take a gamble on this lawyer mm-hmm because at the end of the day, the people that get justice are the people that can pay for it. Or they have very good connections. Pay for it. How are they paying for it with those connections? Exactly. Yeah. Like they're paying for it somehow. Right. And, and I, you know, the, the secret handshake behind the doors, the secret like lack of due process for children. And we're going to do all this behind closed doors because it's, you know, we're going to protect the kids. No, we're going to do backroom deals with a fucking handshake. And who's doing the handshakes? Maybe some women, but it ain't black women. It ain't native women doing the handshakes behind the door. Who is it? It is the people who have always had the power. And I'm not, I really want to be careful in framing that. That is a fact. That is not me judging. That is us really needing to look at where the wounds are in terms of who has had. When I watched the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case, it was horrific. I don't care what side of that you're on. That was so unnecessary. That was so dehumanizing to both parties. You cannot, and when you see all of these victims coming forth and saying me too, or, you know, like Britney Spears is another one who was under a conservatorship for 13 years, the richest woman in music 
is being controlled by a court document to make sure everybody else makes money, that is the highest you can go. And we are still dehumanizing people. So this is hurting us all. Right. We need to look at that. We need to take action on that. And again, looking to my BIPOC brothers and sisters, they've been through it. They know this game. We need to listen because they have really great ideas and they have survived a lot longer than we have with these horrific, ridiculous, arbitrary outcomes. Mm -hmm. Even an outcome that, you know, uh, your lawyer says, well, this is better. This is like, for instance, when um, I I had won in Superior Court, the child support case, and then I had to hire a lawyer after my heart attack because I could not pro se it anymore, which is when you represent yourself. So, you know, she came in and she did a fantastic job. If it wasn't for her, I'd be dead. And right. she's like, I don't know how this is going to turn out technically, because what everything that has happened Uh, She said she wanted the arrears washed away, the child support gone. Everything should be gone because I didn't do anything. Um, But she said, I don't know how she's going to roll. So she called me two weeks later with this crazy ass ruling. And she's she's looking at it and she's reading it to me. And I'm looking at my copy. She says, I've never seen a ruling written this crazy before. (laughs) And that's why, you know, the nurses I worked with called this judge crazy. (laughs) It was kind of weird. And so what happened was the child support was reduced from 800 and some dollars down to $106 a month. But the judge was so generous because when she was putting me through all these contempt hearings, she actually illegally increased my arrears by $3,000, bringing it up to like 15. So it was at 15. So she generously reduced it down to $11,000. So we still had to pay on that. Okay. So where, where did that money go? Did that go to your ex or to the court? It goes to the court and the ex. uh, So he can fix up his house. He did not do anything for my kids with that money. (laughs) Just, but, um, and I said to my lawyer, I I said, can we do something more with this? Should we go back in there? She goes, oh, I wouldn't do that because this judge could increase it some more. Yeah. They have the right to do that. Yeah. She said, just let it lie. So if you don't pay the 15, you're going to go to jail, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And money is not, money can help in a retribution, but even if you had harmed somebody, money would not be how we do reparative and transformative justice. Money would not solve the wound, whatever the wound perceived or real or fake is. Right. But it is a punitive measure to determine worth of somebody. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have 15 grand, then you're a bad person and you're going to go to jail and then we can just erase you. Exactly. But the judge did take the arrears down to $6 a month, which I thought was hysterical. Six or 106? Six. Six dollars a month. So uh, we, well, actually, my my husband was paying the child support because, bear in mind, I lost my nursing job, yeah. so he was paying on someone else's kids. <laughs> but, but, and, was- and again, intention wise, was that ever the intention of the the intention? I don't think was ever to purposely harm. Fa- well, I, you know what? I will. I'm probably going to misspeak. There was some intention to harm some families, but. The intention was to help, but intention 
into practice, into systemic sort of, again, social normative, um, streamlined, bullshit, arbitrary, $106. Oh, $106 a month is going to define if I'm a criminal or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not my 18 years of parenting or, or my survival of trauma or my ability to even endure this court case when I haven't done anything wrong. But now socially, we're going to say $106 is the the difference between me and my freedom. Right. Right. And, and still, it's you so like there was no convoluted. Change. Yeah. And, and you walk out of there going, okay, so I'm still stuck with an enormous amount of arrear. So she really didn't do much with that. Other than just say you can pay $6 a month on it, which ticked off the X. But the thing is, there still was no justice. Because technically, like what my lawyer said, she wants everything washed away. She That should have happened. No one's doing their job. Please do your so, job. So at the end of the day, justice for who? Because I, as evil as I've seen some behavior be, even your ex, I would bet, did not get the results that he was seeking. Right. So he didn't get justice. Your children didn't get justice. You didn't get justice. Your lawyer didn't get the justice. Your lawyer got paid. The judge got paid. The government got paid. But justice for who? Mm -hmm. Isn't that sad? I mean, it, it's, it is a result of what we have agreed to collectively. And I spend a lot of time putting the responsibility back on the collective and the community because I've worked with a lot of victims and perpetrators. And I, every one of us have been impacted by the systems that we support and endorse. And I'm not suggesting we burn it all down. I am suggesting we burn down the family court because, it's, you know, there are some certain systems that I want to abolish, mm -hmm. but we need we really just need to really have a concrete awareness that these systems are outdated. Mm -hmm. They are not functional. They aren't even serving a purpose other than making a few people benefit at the expense of the rest. And we don't need to figure out a, a different system, but there are people who do this on a daily basis, you know, fight and figure out. And, uh, you know, there's 190 some countries in this world. This can be done differently mm -hmm. until we decide to stop accepting it, until we decide to fight back collectively, until we demand that the people working in these systems, like myself as a social worker, like the judge, like the lawyers, until we demand accountability of us in the harm that we're causing too, we are, we're kind of setting ourselves up to fail if we don't look at our collective wounds from what we've settled for. Oh, that's well said. Oh, I'm so, I'm so glad I had you on my podcast. This was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for letting me rant on things I'm very passionate about. No, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I will say that, you know, I endured uh, my own, level of court intervention. Um, I volunteered for it without, because I was just so naive at the time and, and didn't get legal counsel, but I am fully aware of the harm that courts can cause. I do not think 
that people, I, I just, as a social worker, people in my worldview are not good or bad. They're both. We all have our, we, we all have a capacity to be a mass shooter or a mother Teresa. We right. can be either one of those, but it really is about, we really need to take a look at these outdated systems. We are using 20th century systems, which weren't even set up fairly in the first place. I'm talking about school, health, legal, everything. I'm talking about all of our systems. They are fucking outdated. We are not there. And our community needs something different now. That should be okay. That's called fucking evolution. Hello. Yeah. That That is... There are people trying to keep these systems intact and people working in these systems who are as exhausted and tired as we are. They don't deserve this bullshit either. But we all have to take our own responsibility for innocently what we've accepted. And what I, what we've accepted is for-profit prison. What we've accepted is, you know, the, the, the stupid law about the, um, the child support. What we've accepted is that we have two levels of children, human trafficking going on. What we've accepted is exploitation at our fucking work. The G, you know, the UAW in my state is striking right now, again, asking for accommodations. And depending on whether that turns out or not, whether we can get our shit together and support each other, that's going to determine the next generation's growth or shrinkage this will too like we we're either gonna we, you either evolve or you don't and we have a choice but the evolution is not in doing this <laughs> what does einstein say about the level of the problem and the solution you will not solve the problem at the level it was created there are solutions we need to look at the solutions. We need to first acknowledge that we've all been wounded by these systems. Because until we look at the wounding, we cannot heal, we cannot repair, we cannot transform. If we have the illusion that these systems are just, and that it's just, you know, it's it's your fault, it didn't work. And well, you're the perpetrator and you're the criminal and all. The, we have this illusion that the system is determining who's right and wrong. Boy. We're setting ourselves up to fail. Completely agreed. You know, how can people find your uh, webinars, the four F's that are effing up our day? And yeah, yeah. So I have the possibility. Yeah, I have the two books, the podcast, the webinars, the course. Um, it's Clouded Compass, but I will, the link tree. I have a link tree with all of these tools. Um, and I do a lot of advocacy and activism work. I'm working actually on the Marianne Williamson campaign. I, I'm not trying to be political, but in this realm, I will discuss her as it relates to this. I don't care what you think about her. I will say that she is a Democrat running against Biden and she's being um, hushed by the media as somebody who's not even running. Why? Because she might be a threat. But anyway, her policies, she is proposing a Department of Children and Youth she would like the education system to actually teach children instead of indoctrinating them into anything like it, it, take responsibility. She's also, uh, she's been advocating for 20 years for a department of peace. And while that sounds all la la and, and, you know, hooky, cause she talks about love really, when you get to practicality, the department of peace and what that talks about is nonviolent communication is how to deescalate, you know, in she's, 
for rational gun control, rational, even people with guns want better gun control right now. So again, there are solutions. I'm not saying she is the solution. I'm saying she has very sound, practical, very moderate stances in any other world country. But we're so extreme right now and we're so divided and we're so stuck in our fear. We don't want to be hurt too as individuals and that's totally fair. So we're grasping at anything right now. That's a trauma response. Mm -hmm. We need to look at our wounds. We've all been victimized in one way, shape or form. And until we can wrestle with that, we can never holistically address the needs of our community in this country. Mm -hmm. You know, what is the name of your second book? (laughs) It's navigating. Actually, I'll tell you right now. Hang on. Um, If I, yeah. Navigating the storm within cultivating resilience and growth through the nervous system regulation. Wow. It's coming out this week. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. It's a really short ebook. It's about 100 pages, but it's practical information about your nervous system because part of part of these in the court system, most of the battle is how we're viscerally responding to this. You know, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. If you're going into the court system in a trauma response, which is hard not to do, and we all do it, mm-hmm. you really need to know your own trauma responses so you can be okay and aware of your own behavior a, so that it can't be used against you, but B, so that you can, there are things you can do to self-regulate that we are just not taught because again, we're taught that there's something wrong with us if we're in a fight, flight, freezer, fawn. No, it's a human, we, we have human reactions to, we have normal reactions to abnormal circumstances. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> so I you know, I like to educate people. I like to make them aware of trauma. I talk about trauma a lot. People get annoyed with me, but trauma is what they used to call human suffering. And we all have it Uh in one way, shape or form. And again, in this country, we're very sort of tough and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And you're supposed to be responsible for, you know, you're supposed to do everything right. But when you're doing everything right and you get fucking sucked into a court case, that is a second rape. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I've got tools and I'm so glad that can be survived. You can come out of this. Mm-hmm. You can have a different type of life moving out of this. And unfortunately what this is probably going to reveal to all of us in these cases is the changes we need to make to survive in our own lives. Mm-hmm. Our survival isn't up to the court. Our worth is not up to the court. Our value is not up to the court. Neither is it of our children. We have a right to define that for ourselves in prison or winning a case. It doesn't matter. We have a right to determine our own path in life to the best of our abilities. There are ways through. There are many. We don't have to have them figured out, but we have to know they're possible. Mm -hmm. Now, how can people reach you if they want to ask you a question or email you? Um, Yeah, lsmith at... (laughs) ResilienceCoachLLC.com, which is R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-C-E-C-O-A-C-H-L-L-C.com. I was not thinking about email when I named my company. That's okay. 
but I'm going to have you back <laughs> on again. I totally thank you. Uh, don't jump off, though. <laughs> so, this is on the Gallows of Podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth, and the newly released Race by These Wolves, How Family and Federal Courts Are Failing Our Children. And you can find me on Spotify, YouTube, Apple iTunes, Anchor FM, iHeartRadio, and feel free to buy me a coffee to support this podcast. And I thank you, Lori, so very, very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your work. Thank you for allowing people to be heard. This is real. It is not. It's just so surreal if you haven't been through it. So I'm really glad that you're building community around these topics and having people have their voice heard. Thank you. Well said again. (laughs) Thank you.